Welcome to King Size, a Stephen King podcast for obsessives by obsessives. With Matt Robinson and Simon Balkan. Sorry, I know. Sorry, can you hear that? <laughs> what? No. What, what is it? Is it? Is it? Is it Frank Darabont? Frank Darabont tried to tunnel back in to my bloody room because I'm hearing him tunnel away. Is he tunneling away? He's but like, if you can't hear him. That's fine. I can't hear him. No, maybe he's going. I want to be part of this conversation. Oh God, well, yes, that's what that. That's what I can't. I, there's, there's only barely room for two of us. Can't have him in here as well. Um, <laughs> Well, okay, as, he might he's burst tunneling, in at some point. Yeah, well, if he's tunnelling just back into uh, the wardrobe where obviously you keep him, then that's fine. He can stay in there. Like, you know, he wants to be part of the 112263 conversation. What's he doing okay. at the moment? Is, is, no, is, no, I think he's just listening for us to say something else. Okay, uh, yeah. And, and speculate more about how he might do a three-part movie adaptation of 112263, <laughs> but... But right now, I think he's just maybe put tools down and is tuning in. Well, maybe he's... It was last time I remember when we heard Frank Darabont trying to escape uh, very clearly was when we were doing the cycle of the werewolf. Because uh-huh. every time you said the word werewolf uh-huh. was when there was drilling. So he clearly used the word werewolf as uh, as cover, not quite as effective as Andy using the lightning strike and thunder rumble to crack on the pipe in Shawshank, but um, maybe there'll be, every time we mention a certain word, he will um, he will try and then, you know, make his bid for freedom. Right, we've just got to figure out what that word is. Yeah. Maybe it's the past. Maybe it's the past. No? Any, any sound? No, no. Um, maybe it's the word dime? Got it. I think that was it. Okay, that was right. it. Don't right. Say the word too much. Okay, we'll just keep that one, and when life does turn on that moment, then we'll know. But yeah, I'm not hearing him. He's um, yeah, he he's gone quiet for now. So um, okay, great. Sorry you, about no. that. You you can begin. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sai, welcome. Frank, welcome. Everyone, welcome. This is joyous. No, this is exactly how it should begin. <laughs> and what are we beginning? Well, 11, 22, 63. The read-along where we're going to look at the watershed moment and the janitor's father. So I asked the question, what if you could go back in time and change the course of history? 
What if the watershed moment you could change was the JFK assassination? On November 22, 1963, three shots rang out in Dallas. President Kennedy died and the world changed. Unless. And then what? Yeah. Well, we're going to find out, right? We will. Gonna... We may. We may. We know what um what is like is intending jake is intending to do yeah um we don't know at this juncture whether or not he'll be we, he'll be successful we don't actually know that he's fully agreed to do it yet no yeah um and of course secondly there's always the question of if you avert this disaster what actually comes next as you assume that it's made the world for the better. Perhaps by averting this disaster, you're actually setting humanity on the path to a greater one. Who knows? Maybe not. But this is a thing about time, right? You could speculate about it forever. And this is absolutely, we still, yeah, at, at these sections, a lot of this is about, well, what's he going to do? What course is he going to take? Um, so 11, 63 So we, we uh, a while ago, just put a, a, a little kind of teaser uh, online about this book and, and to get people's thoughts. And we're just absolutely inundated with, with, with a response, I think, that's born out of such love for this book. Um, I have been very vocal about, you know, my my particular love for this book uh, on many a podcast and, and on some certain islands. Um, so I, I was absolutely thrilled when we made the decision to do this and do this as a read along again, similar to it, so that we could spend some real quality time going deep with this book. 112263. So what's what's it like for you um second time around and again there are no spoilers that we're going to do because in this episode we just cover watershed moment and the janitor's father as promised so how's it been for you the last month well it's funny given that it's a book that has such a strong theme of nostalgia for obvious reasons mm. it's been um a feeling of real warm nostalgia reading this book again yeah. um because i think i read it for the first time only about 10 years ago um and i remember where i was living pretty much what i was doing as i was as i was reading it but with yet another reread um you're sort of savoring all those details or some of the details that you missed or didn't put necessarily pay as much attention to first time round. Mm -hmm. So for example, I'd forgotten and I didn't really, perhaps I didn't appreciate in the second, in the sex, second section, the janitor's father, just how much time he ends up spending in dairy. Yeah. I thought he just passed through. I thought it was um, something that Stephen King has sort of put in as a sort of, you know, lovely little vignette. Yes. Um, yeah. But actually, no, um, there's a very large section where he has to live in Derry. And I think he's, the sense I get is that he's just missed crossing paths with Pennywise. 
Have I got that right? Was that your understanding of his timing there? Completely, yeah, absolutely. It's just just happened. Again, similarly, I, re- I remember it just being very brief. And in fact, I didn't remember it very well at all because I remember when we did our Halloween uh, quiz, um, which I'm, uh, I'm still not bitter about, um, some of those answers that I clearly didn't know. Yeah, yeah. And one of your questions was, which characters does Jake uh, or George meet when he goes back to Derry? And uh, I mean, you know, I, I completely dropped the ball on that one. So I, could, I couldn't even remember that one. And of course, when he's seeing uh, Richie and Bev, yeah, I'm like, oh, hang on. Where are we in the timeline? Okay. All right. Okay. I think he's just, just missed Pennywise. Pennywise is hibernating for that next 27 years, but, but only just... And when they go, when he's near the ironworks, you get the sense of, oh yeah, that's where this um, creature is. I mean, hibernation sounds like such a. Yeah, I associate hibernation with really pleasant things and mm. co- coziness and squirrels with nuts in their cheeks and you know, um, yes, not killer psychotic clowns. You're they, they got to hibernate too, right? Yes, they've got to hibernate too, just yeah. like everything has to eat. Yeah. You know, one way or another, every life form needs sustenance one way or another. So just as it has to eat, it has to hibernate. Fortunately, although there's still a residue left left over in in Derry, Jake, George, has just about about missed it, which is an intelligent enough construct because otherwise it's a different story. Yeah, absolutely. We, we then, we, yeah, exactly. We have that follow up, but like you say, that residue and oh god, being back in Derry, I was like, ah, oh, yeah. I mean, it's the natural love hate relationship that I think any reader has with Derry, in that it spawns some of King's greatest writing and greatest characters, and just those little moments of seeing Rich and Bev, you go, oh, brilliant. But oh, it's such an oppressive, heavy place, right? Mm. Yes. There's um there's 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 something, as we know, not quite right um about Derry. Yeah. Um and as actually no, as we're talking about Derry at this point, mm. um and we're sort of, you know, free flowing, jumping around a little bit here like, and there. Like fine um, jazz, fine jazz, sorry. There was there was one <laughs> one particular section which um really jumped out at me. Um, because it was like a, I don't know, like a short story in and, in and of itself, and it's just one sort of section. This is section two of chapter eight, which must be in the, the section of the uh, the janitor's janitor's father. And as yeah. we're talking about Derry, as I say, this section just sang like poetry to me. Bevy from the levee had said that she thought the bad times in Derry were over, but the more of it I saw and the more I felt, that especially, the more I came to believe that Derry wasn't like other places. Derry wasn't right. At first I tried to tell myself that it was me, not the town. I was a man out of joint, a temporal Bedouin, and any place would have felt a little strange to me, a little skewed, like the cities that seem so much like bad dreams in those strange Paul Bowles novels. This was pervasive at first, but As the days passed and I continued to explore my new environment, it became less so. I even began to question Beverly Marsh's assertion that the bad times were over, 
and imagined on nights when I couldn't sleep, and there were quite a few of those, that she questioned it herself. Hadn't I glimpsed a seed of doubt in her eyes? The look of someone who doesn't quite believe but wants to? Maybe even needs to? Something wrong. Something bad. Certain empty houses that seem to stare like the faces of people suffering from terrible mental illness. An empty barn on the outskirts of town. The hayloft door swinging open and closed on rusty hinges. First disclosing darkness, then hiding it, then disclosing it again. A splintered fence on Cossuth Lane, just a block away from the house where Mrs Dunning and her children lived. To me, that fence looked as if something, or someone, had been hurled through it and into the barrens below. An empty playground with the roundy-round slowly spinning, even though there were no kids to push it and no appreciable wind to turn it. It screamed on its hidden bearings as it moved. One day I saw a roughly carved Jesus go floating down the canal and into the tunnel that ran beneath Canal Street. It was three feet long. The teeth peeped from lips parted in a snarling grin. A crown of thorns jauntily askew circled the forehead. Bloody tears that had been painted on the thing's weird white eyes. It looked like a juju fetish. On the so-called kissing bridge in Basie Park, amid the declarations of school spirit and undying love, someone had carved the words, I will kill my mother soon. And below it, someone had added, not soon enough, she's full of disease. One afternoon, while walking on the east side of the barrens, I heard terrible squealing and looked up to see the silhouette of a thin man standing on the GNS and WM railroad trestle not far away. A stick rose and fell in his hand. He was beating something. The squealing stopped, and I thought, it was a dog, and he's finished with it. He took it out there on a rope leash and beat it until he was dead. There was no way I could have known such a thing, of course, and yet I did. I was sure then, and I am now. Something wrong. Something bad. Do any of those bear on the story I'm telling? The story of the janitor's father and of Lee Harvey Oswald? He of the smirking little I-know-a-secret smile and the grey eyes that would never quite meet yours. I don't know for sure, but I can tell you one more thing. There was something inside that fallen chimney at the Kitchener Ironworks. I don't know what, and I don't want to know. But at the mouth of that thing, I saw a heap of gnawed bones and a tiny, tiny chewed collar with a bell on it. A collar that surely belonged to some child's beloved kitten. And from inside the pipe, deep in that oversized bore, something moved and shuffled. Come in and see. That something seemed to whisper in my head. Never mind all the rest of it, Jake. Come in and see. Come in and visit. Time doesn't matter in here. In here, time just floats away. You know you want to. You know you're curious. Maybe it's even another rabbit hole. Another portal. Maybe it was. But I don't think so. I think it was Derry in there. Everything that was wrong with it. Everything that was askew. Hidden in that pipe hibernating. Letting people believe the bad times were over, waiting for them to relax and forget that there had ever been bad times at all. I left in a hurry, and to that part of Derry, I never went back. That sense of, that just that little vignette of that little, that just yeah. that section that sort of sums up that pervasive feeling. It's like I would imagine living in Derry to be like taking a little drop of poison 
Yes. Just breakfast every morning, just having to drop <laughs> in your coffee. <laughs> you know, the longer you stay. Yeah. That splintered fence, that's the fence where Ben was pushed, wasn't it? That's, that's what I got from that. Mm. Something or someone had been thrown through that fence yeah. and into the barrens below. Yeah, again, and bringing that, that's Ben being, you know, pushed by Henry Bowers and, and, and nearly, you know, nearly coming to his end. And yeah, that is the clearest statement, isn't it, that, that Pennywise has not been defeated and is hibernating and is there. And I I remember reading that and feeling such a like frisson of excitement. I was just like, oh because <laughs> it could work either way. I think if you hadn't read it, reading these first, you know, the, the, this section in Derry would make me want to go, oh, right, okay, Derry, what's that all about? What's the deal with that? There's clearly some life and narrative and, and King's hinting at something having taken place here. So then I could explore it. Mm. But I, I also love the fact that knowing it so well and having read that and having lived in Derry for quite some time, you and I both, um, metaphorically, it feels... Um, <laughs> Not like coming home because it's not the kind of home you want to come home to, but there's a lovely, um, lovely sense of harmonizing, right, with this other book and and this sense of things chiming, discording and harmonizing throughout. Yeah, you get you get to see a different side of Derry, or you get to see experience Derry from an outsider's perspective. Yeah. And of course, there are lots of lovely Easter eggs. Mm. in in that section all to do with um with it um the, the name bowers is mentioned yeah uh he goes to see norbert Keane, the pharmacist um the dairy dairy townhouse is, is mentioned pa- patrick hocksetter the barons of course georgie yeah name checked dorsey corcoran yeah um yeah. the flood yeah there's talk of the clown. Yeah. People having seen a clown talking to children mm. from the town. Mm-hmm. Uh, Beverly and um, and Richie, of course, and the Kitchener Ironworks. All these lovely little Easter eggs that make you, if you've read it, go, yeah. oh, I know that. I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't know what he's talking about. Oh, I'm there. I'm there. Uh, <laughs> but as you say, equally, in, in reverse, if somebody hadn't read it, you go, oh, what's that all about? Yeah, yeah. But it's nothing away, really. No, absolutely. It's just enough. And 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 you know, I was reading really go, oh my gosh, wow, are, are we gonna see more of them? Bev and Richie gonna come back again later on? Um, and maybe they do, maybe they will, who knows? But it's such a powerful, powerful section. Um, and 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 so oh yeah, that that cloying sense of poison uh that Derry brings with it. Um, yeah, the, the, Jake writes, I felt good until I saw Derry. where it's almost it's like constant early evenings and all the colors seem to wash out uh through the town and you know reading this section on in the wettest march that we've had in the uk i think on Mm. record where it's just been kind of gray and wet and squelchy and it really suited the the kind of mood that the janitor's father section you know uh, creates yeah 
we've only had the our, our summer time in inverted commas start last uh, last Sunday, uh, so it's still kind of dark, and we've had no real spring weather here, so it's no. still quite cold and very very wet, as you say. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you know, a, another reading in line with the weather outside, either real real heat, real, real snow, or real damp. Exactly. Well, that's it. That's it. And listen, you know, for for any any of our listeners, you know, kind of uh, outside of uh, the UK, Devil's Island, uh, you know, it's true. British people talk about the weather a lot. Okay, so we really talk about. No, exactly. We did have COVID for a bit, but that seems a little bit, you know, last year or so. So, so we've reverted back to uh, to to the weather. Um, So very important. I I think I remember. So I don't know if I mentioned to you, but um. Whilst I was reading this this part, um, Janitor's father and back in Derry, taking the dog for a walk in one of those horrible, rainy uh, dog walks that, that aren't much fun but need to be done, and was deep in some woods where I go walking and looked over to one corner and I took a photo, put it on Instagram. There was, I kid you not, a balloon a solitary red balloon that, <laughs> that, that had no earthly business being there. Um, and I just had that chill because I think I'd very recently just read that brilliant passage that you beautifully read out. You know, just the sense of come and play. Come on. Yeah. I'm, 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 yes. I, I'm a bit bored of a diet of lovely kittens and cats. And uh, yes. <laughs> It'll be all right. Come play. Yes. <laughs> Let's have some boy meat. Uh, yeah, I was just I was like, uh, okay, this is a... Yeah, the, for a great number of people, there will now always be something inherently creepy about a singular red balloon. <laughs> Nothing can be done. Unfortunately, that is now cemented in, I think. You might you might get past it, oh, yeah. perhaps, but your instant reaction will be... <laughs> what else is around here well exactly yeah anytime the kids come back from a party and you know they're just you know holding on to this red balloon instead of just go oh that's just so lovely and sweet it's like oh gosh no so thank you blowing in that direction yes oh it is okay fine the balloon should be going that way okay (laughs) okay just check it and that description side that you read out and i love that um you know of that um you know that kind of Christ figure and the crown of thorns and just just drifting along and really eerie sense of all hope broken and it it's not just bad Derry but something something wrong something something bad it's not just bad it's rotten Mm. I think we may have said that Mm. before we're talking about yeah about it there is something about about dairy which is inherently mm. rotten at its core that's just sort of diseased and falling apart yeah and as you know we said it sort of infects everything mm. around it that's that rottenness um that decay is at its core and everything that's coming from it is somehow tainted by that yes. same that same um toxin yes yeah I, and, and I wonder if uh, I, I was fascinated doing some research on the origins of, of 112263. Um, and obviously the fact that this book came out after it had been written and um, you know, Derry was established, 
you know, I think we'd have had a very different book if King had written it very early on in his career, which is what he tried to do. So um, this is actually this is the 60th or some people say 61st book published by King. And uh, King said about it, I've never tried to write anything like this before. It was really strange at first, like breaking in a new pair of shoes. Now, a big thing he spoke about was the amount of research that this story required. And the idea for this novel first came to him in 1971. So way before Carrie was released in, in, in 74. And King said it was 1971. And I was in the teacher's room and people were talking about the Kennedy assassination. The 22nd would roll around and people would talk and write about the assassination and stuff. I guess somebody must have said, what would it have been like if Kennedy had lived? And I thought to myself, I'd love to write a story about that. So obviously the imagination sparking and he starts to then sit down and go, right, let's alchemize this. Let's get it on the page. Uh, initially, did you know? <laughs> I'm sure you do. <laughs> it's a rhetorical question, but did you know what King was originally going to call this novel? Oh, I don't. Oh, oh you've got me. No, I, um, no, I don't think I've ever read anything. No, I don't think I do. What was he going to call it? Oh, ladies and gentlemen, this is a first. You are hearing and witnessing <laughs> history here. This is, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was going to title it Split Track. Split Track. Okay. So I guess from that sense of the sliding doors, life branching out, things turning on a dime. Uh, any drilling? No, no, no. Oh, Frank, okay. paying attention. Good. Okay, Keep good. Thank you. Thank you. Um, he's, he's thinking about, how am I going to change the ending to this book? When we get to it, if we, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, don't get him ideas. However. Or sideshow Bob on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. However, he realised that a historical novel required more research than he was willing to do at the time. And by his own admission, he said, greater literary talent than he possessed. So looking at his life at that time, he's just recently married uh, Tabby. They've got a one and a half year old daughter at home. He's three months into his first teaching job. And I think fair to say, trying to tackle a novel like this was a little bit overwhelming. And he gave up after writing 14 single-spaced pages. Mm. There's also there's also the issue of the issue, isn't there? Which I think mm. is, is why he had to set it aside, because it was just such a... It's only eight years. Yeah. After one of, one of those days which shook the entire world. Yeah. Um, and it was, I think... It, one of the things he's also said is that, which obviously relates to how big it was, it was just too raw a wound. Yeah. Um, yeah. Particularly if you're, um, particularly if you were a American. Um, I mean, I remember asking uh, my parents, and they could they could answer this question immediately. I said, can you remember where you were when Kennedy was shot? Not necessarily where they were when it happened, but where they were when they heard the news yeah. that JFK had been assassinated. Uh, oh, no, I can tell you exactly where it was. Um, and it's, I think, for our generation and probably the generations either side of it, 
I can tell you exactly where I was when I heard um, that 9-11 was happening. Yeah. Same thing. Uh, uh, absolutely. Um, the Towers, I think, w- was our JFK moment, probably for our, our generation. And interestingly, again, with that, I think King first referenced that and 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 started to speak about that war of terror and war on terror, not until Cell, you know, which was a few years after. But even then, it was you know still felt quite close to 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 to, to the rawness of that moment. Where were you when you um when you heard about the towers? I was in South London. Uh, I was rehearsing a piece of children's theatre. And it was lunchtime um, in London, and we'd taken our lunch break, and it was right at the beginning of of the lunch break, and um, I was about to go and sit outside, I think, or just go for a walk, having had lunch, and I was talking to um, the uh, set designer, or um, she'd come in to sort of um, repaint the set a little bit, going back out on the road. And uh, her name was Peter. Uh, she was Australian. And she was listening to the radio on a Walkman. Mm. And I was going out to lunch. And she told, and she said that there had been this aviation accident. And a plane had hit um, one of the towers of the, of the World Trade Center. And I suspect, like a lot of people who didn't see anything but only heard it, or heard about it, thought, oh, my God, what a horrific aviation accident. Yeah. Um, and I went out for a walk, and I didn't have any sort of contact with the news. I didn't see any television, anything like that. And then I came back, and I spoke to her again, and she said, another plane's hit another tower, and it's on fire, and it's going um, And then it obviously became perfectly clear that it wasn't accidental. What about you? I remember I was um, in between acting jobs um, and when I wasn't acting, uh, I, I, the local authority, the council would um, take me on and I'd do, you know, photocopying bits and bobs. And uh, yeah, they, they were very, very sweet to me there. And um, uh, yeah, I remember it was you know, relatively early days of kind of, you know, emails, internet, that kind of thing. Um, you know, still very, very slow to, you know, but someone just went, oh, uh, a, a plane's you know gone into the tower. Um, but at that stage, again, it was like, oh, I think it's a small pass, you know, a small light aircraft. So just thinking it was, you know, maybe pilot error or human error. And again, then, you know, the story started to unfold and realised it was something very different. And in fact, they, um, uh, the building we room is quite a tall building and at that time they then we all got sent everyone got sent home because at that stage no one knew what was going on you know it just with every yeah. obviously with every passing minute more, more more atrocities were being committed and actually everyone was like well hang on what's you know what's going on is this going to be a global attack what do we and then like most people just went back and just sat glued in front of the the, the tv and i think watched it you know all day all night um uh, and it felt like an absolute watershed moment in similar to, I think over here, you know, I can remember very clearly where I was for the London bombings, seven, seven, mm-hmm. and was in my final, uh, final year. Uh, well, I only did one year of drama school and, um, yeah, they, they they really couldn't polish anything there for me. Um, and, uh, we, we should point out it was a one year course. It was a one year course, out. yes. Yeah, maybe I should. Maybe that makes it sound a little bit more like I was a like a James Dean rebel uh, actor rather than. Yeah. 
<laughs> oh, okay, fine. Uh, yeah, you were in the Nevada, and they slung you out after ten months because there was just too much unbearable talent. That that was it. They just they couldn't handle it. They the, you know the fact that I was just 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 bringing this raw method uh, that it just was too hot for them to handle. And you know I smashed the system and uh, smashed a few chairs and tables in in an outburst of emotive. Um, you know, a behavior as a, as I was servant number one in a play. And um, yeah, and, and then they kicked me out. So we'll, we'll stick with that one. But yeah, I remember so clearly we were doing a show uh, called Our Country's Good. And um, we had a morning, uh, well, morning performance and then an afternoon one. And um, really interestingly, most of the audience from the morning one just stayed for the afternoon session because everything felt so unsafe outside. And obviously we were in London and people didn't want to travel. People didn't want to go out. We were almost in this little cocoon. And, um, and I remember very clearly just going, well, let, let's, what do we do? Do we do the show in the afternoon or, and, and everyone was like, yeah, let's, let's stay. We didn't want to travel. People wanted to just be safe and with each other actually. And, you know, so a few phone calls checking in on loved ones, um, and then this audience and this group of about 11 of us in the play, we just stayed and, and did the second performance because why not? Again, as we know, the power of being able to lose yourself in uh, a world away in a play, a narrative, a story, there was great catharsis to it. But I think very much JFK was for our parents' generation, but those, you know, um, 9-11 and 7-7 definitely, I think, were the watershed moments for us. Yeah, and and the phrase that Stephen King use uses several times throughout these first first two parts. I think he uses it in the first four pages, um, and he's absolutely right in his in identifying this very simple, but um, very sort of profound concept: is that life turns on a dime yep. or a shot. Um. But isn't that a sort of um, argument in quantum physics or something like this that you know, you know you make a decision to say something, do something, mm. um, and that's the path that your life is now on. But in other universes, you didn't make that decision or you didn't yeah. say something, and because of that, your life is now on an ever so slightly different different path. Yes, but it's it's it, there's not much distance. Um, between these two uh, consequences at the time, but they, you know, they spread out. Yeah. And so by the time that more time has passed, your your life is radically different, potentially. Oh, completely. The trajectory of your life just hinging on these decisions, these split moment decisions. I mean, I, yeah, I look at, for instance, on a very personal level, I know that, it was going to that said drama school be, before I got kicked out for, yeah, for the um, yeah. unbearable, um, uh, being an unbearable talent and pain in the ass. Um, uh, was where I, you know, I met my, you know, my Zan. And, you know, I look now at my family and go, well, all of that, you know, kind of came from going to that place. And if I hadn't gone to that place and within that, and that hinged on a 30 minute discussion I had with somebody about oh i've got nothing coming up this year have you ever thought of going to drama school oh yeah maybe i'll i could do and it was a, a 30 minute discussion that was initially not going to take place so i was about to go home but i just thought oh let's just give go for a quick walk 
And you just, you can unravel it and go back and think, well, what if, say, I'd never gone on that walk on that day? If I just go, no, you know, I'm, that was great. We can, I'm going to jump in the car and head back, uh, beat the traffic. So, something as practical, as boring as that. Uh-huh. And then the trajectory of life starts to go in a different curve. And then I don't end up going to that place and meeting my my wife. And then, you know, these kids that I have don't exist because, but again, it's it all... Uh, I mean, I find it fascinating that because you can go back and unravel every decision or look at every moment that led to, and there possibly is the way to madness, but ain't it, well, it's absurd, right? Norman Mailer, the quote that King uses in the opening, we Mm. live in a universe that is absurd. And I think maybe that absurdity speaks to the fact that it all turns on a dime. Yeah, it's all, it's all... (laughs) Horribly simple at the end of the day when all is said and done. Um, but just in, in relation to exactly so everything that, that you've just said, there's one philosophical mm. question I kind of like to sort of put out there and maybe maybe just leave there. Perhaps we'll come back to it. Yeah. Perhaps we don't. But I absolutely want to make sure that I um I mention this because I, I I think it's fascinating. It's a fascinating sort of potential other side of the coin to all of the themes in 1122.63. So you have got somebody going going back in time to change something in the past in order to bring about a profound change in the present. Yeah. Now, there's a huge amount of fiction about this, a lot of films, a lot of books, um, and it's hugely entertaining, and it's fascinating to think about. But... Think about this at the same time. What we tend to lean towards is this behavior, is let's go back in time, let's change something from back then in order to affect something in the present, rather than making a change in the present to affect the future. Why can't now be your past? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Why not make the change now? And because it's you know everyone, everyone has twenty twenty with hindsight. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We we all we could all be fighter pilots, right? Because yeah. perfect vision. Yeah, but you know, um, <laughs> perfectly clear to see what you should have said, done, yes, changed in 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 the past, and that gives you a pretty good sense of what your life would would be now, because that thing would be different. But why not? Um. Just accept the fact that you can't change the past and go, well, I can't change the past, but I can change the present and that will affect the future. Future, yeah. So I'm just interested to, mm, to mm. where we always lean towards changing the past, which can't be changed, rather than changing the present, which can be changed. Yes. Now I'm not I'm not saying I'm anything, I'm not saying I'm better, I'm not saying I'm, I'm I'm different. I speculate about things I could have done differently all the time. But equally, at the I, I also I also try and think, well, come on, you can't change that, but you can change this. Yeah. So why not change this knowing that it will have an effect on your future? On the future. Well, I I wonder if it's because potentially as humans we are prone to nostalgia prone to looking back looking back over the past combing what happened to lead to this point and i wonder if at times 
making that decision to change something in the present requires action, requires commitment, bravery, vulnerability, all of those things. Uh, there's an active energy to it, right? To go, no, right, I'm going to make this change right now. Whereas there's something quite perhaps, just a thought, passive about going, God, if I could go back and change the past. Because we know, uh, unless we're going to go and have uh, a burger at Al's place and he shows us his pantry, that it's very unlikely that that might be able to happen. Well, it's unlike you can't change that past, right? So it becomes then more a cerebral philosophical discussion that requires no action. So there's maybe a bit of comfort in it, which is easier to look at. You know, it's always easier to talk about it than sometimes do. Oh, absolutely. And I yeah. I wonder if that's it. You know, that's why we're we're wired towards that. It's safer than actually going, okay, so I challenge you. You can't go back and change that. So mm. what are you going to change in this instant right now? Mm. That yeah, I think be quite scary. Yeah. yeah, I think that uh, that encapsulates it very well. Yeah, we can all sit in our armchairs and talk about how we would have liked to have uh, <laughs> Uh, chatting up that person or not <laughs> that job, yeah. um, or um, known that was going to happen on your driving test and pass first time or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah we can all sit back and do and, and do that with a drink, a smoke and a pancake. But in order to make a change, as you say, it requires actual work. Yeah. It requires you to do something. It requires, mm. as you say, you've got to stick your neck out mm. um, and be a little brave find some courage and go right i'm going to do this and i'm going to go that way and that's yeah. that's the the change i want to see affected in the future because of what i'm doing right now it's yeah you can just go back in time hop into through owl's portal go change that thing come back and go yeah boom excellent yeah yeah of exactly of course and i think and i think this is a very very clever little caveat uh, in 1122.63 about Al's portal is that every time you do go back, it re it wipes the slate clean and it resets the whole game. Yes. So you only get one shot at it. You can't you, you can't go back, change the thing you want to change, come back and go, oh damn, I forgot to. No. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna come back. I'm just gonna have a have a cup of tea. One of those <laughs> One of those nice burgers with that really great quality meat for pittance. Oh, yeah, I need to go back and tinker and do that. Yeah, exactly. You've got to be all in. Um, you've got to absolutely. Uh, yeah, every time you put all your chips yeah, on the table. Yeah, and I love the fact that those caveats are put in there because otherwise, narratively, I think, it's just too vast. If there are no rules to, you know, to the time travel, that that we're experiencing, you know, when when Jake is, is shown it, if there's no rules to it, then the, the structure falls apart and it's too wide. Um, and I think that's the basis of all really good time travel books. Um, from from this to a, a book called When the Coffee Gets Cold, yeah, you've got to have those structures and the rules. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's fascinating, Sian, and I'm really glad you put that that more philosophical question out there because it is true, and I think. Maybe that's what, in that moment of when it feels you've got to take action and you've got to make a commitment, it's just 
worth reminding ourselves that we don't have that doesn't mean have we have to do it alone i think that's a huge power of therapy you know um mm. i'm you know i know that my therapist used to talk about what's your book what's your script you know what's the book that you write so and what's the chapters ahead for you that is still mm. unwritten you get to choose how you write that and i i found real comfort in that okay you know these chapters have happened these things have, cha- have have happened, good, bad, the ugly. Can't go back and change that. But what I can change is how I'm writing what happens in 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 the future. Um, and I think that is what therapy, in its truest essence, is there to help us just make some changes to influence mm-hmm. the future. Um, and, and here with eleven twenty two sixty three, right? As Al says, he's like, look. This is not easy because the past doesn't want to be changed. <laughs> That's the thing. It's like, you really? know, the future hasn't yet been written, but that past is obdurate. It doesn't want to be changed, Jake. So you've got to deal with that as well. As events have unfolded, this this is what has happened over time. And that is what has been set. And if you want to go, and we only get one world, all the parallel worlds and universes that exist because of the different decisions that people make all the time um, are not ours to exist in. This is the one we've got, and it's not meant to be changed. And in a sense, time isn't the villain in this in this book, at least not, not from my understanding of rereading the first two parts, um, but it is an obstacle. Um one that Jake has to overcome if he's going to do this. And I think that the bigger the changes he wants to make, the stronger the pushes in opposition he's going to get. And, and, And yeah, time is sort of asserting itself going, no, this is what happened. These are the choices that everybody made. This is the life that you've all signed up to lead. Yeah. Um. And if you didn't sign up to lead it, then guess what? You should be making some changes right now so that it doesn't happen again. But yeah. for right now, this is this is what we've what you've got, and you don't get to to change it. If you push me, I'm going to push you back. Yeah, not in any kind of hostility, but just just in response. Yeah, yeah. And if you want to make a really big change, and I'm going to have to give you a really good big push in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. In, in response. The gloves, yeah, you know, um, the gloves are off for that one, right? The bigger, I love that. The bigger change you're trying to make, the more you're going to feel it. I Mm. and Al says to 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 Jake, what I'm telling you, Jake, is that you can change the past, but it's not as easy as you might think. That morning, I felt like a man trying to fight his way out of a nylon stocking. It would give a little, then snap back just as tight as before. Finally, though, I managed to rip it open. Why would it be hard? Because the past doesn't want to be changed? Something doesn't want it to be changed. I'm pretty sure of that, but it can be. If you take the resistance into account, it can be. And King describes Al's face as having really bright eyes in that haggard face. Um, And, you know, this was where he's talking about the story of Carolyn Poulin, um, mm. you know, who who, who was um, hurt in the in the hunting uh, accident, and it's such a great 
narrative of, you know, go back in time, try and do the right thing, save the person, save the girls, save, save Harry, save JFK. And the past is going to, it's going to be like that nylon stocking. Um, it is just going to fight back and there's going to be obstacles in the way. And there's going to be flat tires and trees down. And uh, I, I love that, you know, it's because if it's simple, then again, as we've said many a time, where's the friction? Where's the story? Mm. Well, if, it's that, if, that's, if it's that easy, anyone can go and do it. Yeah. If you knew where the portal was. Yeah. Everyone would, would, would have their thing that they they wanted to change. And of course, it's a huge assumption that... Um, Saving JFK makes the world a better place. Yeah, um, I read a, an article in the in the Guardian written by um, Mark Lawson, who um, uh, who I had a similar thought with about that same speculation, which turns up in the Dead Zone of if you could go back in time and kill Hitler, would you? Now, um, the the thing about that is uh, that, as he, uh, as he says, this is a novel about thwarting Lee Harvey Oswald, crucially different from a one about killing Hitler, because many readers will question whether the hero is going after the right man. Now, a lot of, if you say, uh, you know, here's a book about someone going back in time to kill Hitler, a lot of people would instantly be on your side going, yes, you take care of Adolf Hitler and um, Europe and indeed the rest of the world in the 30s and the 40s looks very different. Yeah. You, may, you might still very well get an armed conflict, but you don't get the yeah. horror that, that we had. In, in 1122-63, because of all the conspiracy theories surrounding it, someone's going back to kill Lee Harvey Oswald. You go, wow, was it Lee Harvey Oswald work, though? Yeah. Um, was there that um, uh, assassin on the on the grassy knoll, the infamous grassy knoll? Yes. Um, yes. Was it some sort of conspiracy? And actually, he was murdered in hospital. Uh, was it the mafia? Was it the Russians? Was it the was CIA? It was it... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was, Which... was Harvey Oswald acting on his own? Yeah. yeah. Which King admits he, yeah. him and, and Tabby have very different opinions on that. You know, King uh, through the research convinced that. He, you know, it was just one Lee Harvey Oswald, mm. but Tabby has different thoughts upon that. You know, believes that they're part of a bigger conspiracy. So, yeah, I, yeah, because I, what they yeah. represented, yeah, what he was and what he was more than likely going to do, what his policies were, what his policies he was he was following following through on. Mm. Um, but it. It, it you know it it broke America's heart and it broke a lot of people's hearts uh, internationally. I don't mean yeah. that to sound sort of trivial at all, but he was such a charismatic young, mm. um, so full of so full of life and his and, and his uh, and his romance with uh, with Jackie and it just it was regardless of what you think of the man's politics. Yes. Um, as I say, it, it was one of those. It was one of those days that shook the world. The planet was never the same. Yeah. After this, after this event, and life turned on a dime slash a shot. Yeah. I remember asking you about. Um, I think it was when we did one of our survivor types, and we were talking about uh, you know this story, and 
you know, if you could go back in time, what would you do? And um, I, and I remember your your answer about actually, you know, not going back and killing Hitler, but, you know, uh, funding him to go to art school yeah. <laughs> so that he could, you know, again, the different trajectory, the appreciation, the love of beauty, the love of, uh, you know, which I thought was a really, yeah, really interesting answer and concept. Because again, you know, just on that with relating to this book, what Al is saying is you've got to go back and stop this man. And what that will involve, we imagine, is, well, there's, maybe Jake's going to try and form a connection, talk him down, use words, non-violence, who knows. But ultimately, I'm a, I get the sense that, well, possibly there's only one way to stop uh, an assassin is you know to take them down yourself and and jake is a is a high school teacher he's not a killer so mm. it's it's you know it's a big ask right yes absolutely he's got to go back ask. to 1958 five odd years before it actually happens which in one sense is a real blessing because they're not absolutely sure themselves so he's got that time yeah. to in- investigate Lee, Lee Harvey Oswald. And he's not a private detec- detective either. No. And he's a killer. He's not a PI. So he's an English, he's a high school English teacher. Um, but he has this time to sort of, as surreptitiously as he can, find out who Lee, Lee Harvey Oswald really was, yeah. what his agenda was, what he intended to do, and did he, in fact, assassinate John Fitzgerald Kennedy? Yeah. Was it him? Um, because if it's not, then, you know, he's spending five or, or as long as it takes in the past and go, oh, damn it. It was some guy on the grassy knoll. Here's the guy on the I mean, you, you get, you ha- when you go back to Al's diner, only, what is it, two minutes of? So of, two, of, yeah. Regardless exactly. of yeah. how much time you spend yeah. in the past. But that's still five years of your life. Absolutely. And, and this is the one of the great rules, I think, that King puts into this story, that idea of two minutes has passed in in, in the present. So, you know, the, the cat will still be eating from the same bowl. They'll still be, you know, you know, fizz in the drink, you know, two minutes passed. But when you come back, you will have aged, you know, so you, you've you've lived, obviously, those five years. So that will start to show Two minutes pass in the present, but you've come back a different person, obviously. Different experiences, different physical pressures, aging, all of that. And as we said, it you can't, you know, the way that the past then resets. Mm. So you come back if there's something. Oh, if you have a Columbo moment, ah, oh, just one more thing I need to go back and do. Yeah. Well, that isn't going to work because everything that gets reset. And um, and I wonder when we meet Al, you know, Jake said, what the hell is going on? You can't get cancer overnight. If it's these trips back and forwards that he has done so many resets that he's almost got this poison as a result of uh-huh. it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because I'd say that he's been in the past. Al has been in the past for... Yeah. For long enough um, for him to not be able to do anything about the illness because of the time he's in. Yeah. Which must be incredibly frustrating, as you know, from the character's point of view. The sort of damn it, if I could just go back, I could get treatment, probably. Yeah. 
Yeah. Then I've got to go back to the beginning again. Well, exactly, exactly. And I've got this far. I, I can't um, exactly. You can't just pop back, go and get treatment, have some chemo, and then go pop back in again. Again, it's such an example of the past. Um, just, just holding on, holding on tight. Um, I, I love how. Um, so we we have the quote at the beginning before we even got uh, you know started the book about the the Norma Mailer quote about the absurdity of the universe, and then there's that Japanese proverb about if there is love, smallpox scars are as pretty as dimples, and I, I think that, I mean I think that's a beautiful quote anyway. Um, but yeah, just really. It just speaks that there's going to be some stuff that will take place that is, you know, going to speak to that proverb. Because I'm always yeah. interested in why does King put certain things, you know, why does he choose what, what he's, um, you know, he's going to put before the actual text. And, yeah, I'm really intrigued by that one. Yeah, and it has very carefully and deliberately. Yeah. But, but uh, as to what you were saying about, oh, does Jake absolutely have to kill Lee Harvey Oswald, um, Jake raises exactly the same question with Al. He says, why couldn't you just, why can't you frame him for something? Why can't you just sort of, you know, um, put him put him out of the picture somehow? Yeah. Um, and Al replies, maybe, but by then I was sick. I don't know. If I could have done it when I was well, on the whole, it seems simpler to just end him once I was sure. Like swatting a wasp before it can sting you. Yeah, okay. No, yeah, you've won me over. Yeah, that's a fair argument. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm in. <laughs> swatting okay, wasps. Yeah. yeah, fine. Done. <laughs> yeah. If you, if you put it like that, you make a good point, sir. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh, I mean, and there's some brilliant. So, so the rules are so so uh, you know that we we encounter in in part one. You can enter through the portal in the back of the diner. Yeah, no one knows. <laughs> it's brilliant. No one quite knows how the portal works or why. There's a kind of as you know, Jake is representing us almost, asking our questions, and Al kind of swats some of those away. Like it just it just happens. All right. Well, yeah, um, but he doesn't know. Exactly. You engineered the thing. But it's a brilliant moment of going, look, as the writer, King is so clever to go, look, I'm not going to get bogged down or distracted or grounded by that. Just go with, because you're going to get an absolutely amazing tale. You know, and the fact that he's now telling this 38 years later than when he first tried to write it. It comes a confidence to go. I know I can pull this off. Okay, let's just, um, this, yeah, let's okay. just get yeah, Let's just crack on with it because you always show up on September the ninth, nineteen fifty-eight. No matter how long you stay in the past, only two minutes pass in the present. The past can be changed, but each trip through the portal resets the timeline, and history resists attempts to change it. So the, por- the portal doesn't move. Yep. It's always your your door in and your door back are always in the same place. Always the same place, yeah. And when you come through the portal into 1958, you are greeted or you will encounter this kind of slightly wino, drunk, um, somewhat eccentric-looking man with a yellow card in his the brim of his hat. Uh, yeah. He maybe looks like a like a reporter 
and you've got to you've got to deal with this guy and he seems a bit sort of strange and aggressive but if you give him some money say i'll give you some more later that yeah. seems to pacify him and and he'll go away but he's going to make a bit of a, a nuisance of himself he's kind of like the guardian yeah into this strange world yeah he, he will always be there yes the the yellow the yellow card man and he's quite menacing isn't he as you say you know kind of slightly unhinged and that i mean it's pretty full-on right i mean it's the first thing you meet as you step back from the the present day to 1958 i mean that's full-on in itself in the pantry in the back of a diner and suddenly you enter the the past and then you're immediately assaulted by this slightly unhinged crazy dude yeah, uh, I mean, it's like uh, you know, again, the past go whoa, 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 immediately back you go. So, the question is, and um, I've been prompted to, to consider this by the year of uh, underrated Stephen King podcast. Who is that guy? Well, I mean, we know what he is. He's sort of a guardian, but yeah, but I, I, who I, is he? So I. There's definitely a sense I get of he's somebody who has been, he's a bit of a guardian, as you say, starting to be sent loopy by being so close to the proximity of the portal. Uh-huh. I think the portal has this almost, you know, radiation charge that it gives out, which we see happen with, with Al. The amount of trips backwards and forwards has a cost. And I think it is almost like, you know, kind of radiation. Mm-hmm. So I think there's this sense of, you know, King often writes about thinnies, the place where the worlds between these parallel universes is really thin and reality becomes blurred, but you don't want to touch it. You know, you touch that, then then you, you, you're going to be harmed. So there's, there's a harmful energy to that. And I think this guy has just, he stays close. He's a guardian of it. He's trying to maybe, he's a watcher. He's someone who's going to try and dissuade Jake from doing this. Um, but he has been infused by being too close in, to the portal. Um, mm-hmm. Is he actually, uh, although he's quite menacing and sinister, is he actually uh, a guardian angel, perhaps? Who's you can't see his wings; and his wings have got lost. But he's saying, "Whoa, whoa, listen, turn around. You don't belong here. Trust me on this. You do not belong here. Go back and live your life." Mm. Is, see, he, I, I, is he? Is he one of those signs? Yeah. Is he one of those signs? Yeah, you know, um, that actually is there to to help Jake, mm. and 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 did he first present to Al when Al first mm. tripped through? Did he go whoa whoa whoa? No, you, Mister, go back. This, yeah, this isn't for you because it's it's no mistake that as you say, this character is right by the portal, right yeah. there. As you say, he's the first person you meet on. Yeah. Stepping through it, and I wonder if it's yes, a representative, a manifestation of the past. It's their mm. sort of it's part of you know the past's um insurance policy. It's a clause that says <laughs> you have yeah. to have at least one person that greets said traveler, and you have to say to them, You this is not for you, you're yeah. not meant to be here. I know you're here, and this bloody thing exists, it wasn't our fault, we didn't put it here. But we have a a duty to say, go back now. And don't say you weren't warned, because that's what I'm here to do. Uh, Yeah. 
Um, well, you said the word guardian, didn't you? Yeah. You know? And, and it's, yeah. it's, again, easy, the guardian of the portal or the guardian of the past or the guardian angel, unlikely as he looks, but, you know, not all angels have wings and, uh, <laughs> you know, float above the air. Is he the guardian angel, actually, uh, of Alan Jake, who they kind of ignore? Mm. Yeah, you can't, You we, we know perfectly well ourselves, you can't force anybody to listen to and you can't be forced to listen to anybody yes. but the, the color of the card in in uh in his hat i think is 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 worthy of consideration because it's it, it's yellow yeah. also um the year of underrated stephen king podcast suggested this too so what it's yellow so what about the low men in yellow coats oh, from yes. um hearts and atlantis and you would be better placed to answer this than me is there some reference to the dark tower in that that mm, character i think so because again we we know that the low men in yellow coats uh you know are, are present throughout the the world of the dark tower and they're the break you know they're involved in the breakers and we've got finnies in the dark tower so yeah i think there is absolutely a nod to that um yeah for sure because that runs through so you know so many of his novels and uh I get the sense he's almost like um, it's almost a computer game, like video game feel to it. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you're, you're you're a character. You're playing, you know, first person character Jake, uh, and here are your rules. And it's like a levels game, you know. And each time you go through, this is your first level, and your first level you're presented with the character of the yellow card man. Yeah, you know? mm. it's just as you say, the past. You know, the game. That's the very first person that you see. Um, and at that stage, what do you do as the character? Do you, you know, interact? Do you run away? Do you run through? Do you run past? Do you kill? Do you whatever? Yeah, it's um he's not just there as a happy accident. No. No, I don't think in a in, in any decent work of art, um the, the the devil is is always in the detail, and the details are there for a reason, and they've been chosen for a reason. Yeah. And I don't think it's it's an accident that this guy's um, card is yellow. I, just, I, I, just, I don't see Stephen King going, oh, what colour do I fancy? You know, there's something yellow over there. Yellow will do. I mean, sometimes that happens occasionally. You get some inspiration that you run with, but it doesn't feel that way to me with this. Mm-hmm. One detail that, um, again, I didn't think was um, accidental, and this, this happens very early on in the um in the novel is um in the the parking lot there's um the first car he notices mm. in old plymouth fury i know we're going to you know, have a separate episode where we do talk about the uh 112263 adaptation but something that I, I i remember noticing in that is that in the opening titles of that and again mm. this gives nothing away uh, the yellow card in his hat uh, which we see when we first see the yellow card man and, and, and in the opening titles, it depicts an ancient symbol, which is that serpent eating its own tail. Yes. Which in turn represents that idea of the endless loop or the endless cycle. Um, so he's, he's there, isn't he? He's that, that guardian of this galaxy. Yes. So come here. Constant. It's there. It's there on the card. It's there on the card. You enter this, you're going to be in this endless, endless cycle. Um, yeah, and you're just going to find in some way 
you can take the long way around or you can go the short way, but you will probably find yourself off pretty much where you started. Yeah. Um, and and perhaps the only thing you'll have to show for it is the burden of knowledge, knowing that you could try mm -hmm. to change something really big in the past, but there's going to be an awfully big price tag. Mm. Um, you've got to, there's a price to pay. There always is. So if you, if you want to, you know, in inverted commas, buy this change, this is what it's going to cost you. Are you prepared to, to part with what it's going to cost you? No, then you can't buy the change. Yes. I'm not being, it's not, it's not cruel. It's just, again, the yellow card man, it's just time going, I'm, I'm constant. This is, yeah. this is, I will always be here because time is always here. Yeah. Yeah. I always have to give you the same warning. Yeah. Every time you come through, you get the same warning as if it's the first time. You're not meant to be here. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Because initially I thought, oh, was this someone who has travelled through, you know, and actually, you know, because he recognises it, while the rest of the people don't recognise Al or George, you know, and Jake, has this man been through a similar portal, the same portal before, you know, and has just got caught in that cycle. Um, so, you know, that moment of recognition. Um, yeah, or is, is as, you, as you say, is it someone that has been done, has done this before themselves? Yeah. And for whatever reason, they're actually trapped here. They're stuck here or they refuse to leave. And that's what's driven yeah, them. Yeah, 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 yeah. Quite insane. I don't know. We're not, we're not given – I like – unusually, I like that I don't think we're given any kind of de definitive answer, at least not so far from the two two parts I've reread. No, no likewise. There is, a, and he, there is a sentence around this whole section where King writes – a tagline that I that I think we know quite well. The devil's voice is sweet to hear. Um, Absolutely. There has to be something, there has to be something charming or sed and seductive about it, or you wouldn't bloody do it. I, I remember someone speculating in a an acting class I did once. Somebody said, you know what? Hitler must have been a really, really charming man. He must have been. How on earth did he get so many people to yeah. vote for him so emphatically? Charming people can't. Uh, um, can do that. People yeah. who are uncharming cannot. Yeah. So yes, the devil's voice is is sweet to hear. And we see that, don't we? In you know, when we move into the second section, um, with you know, which we'll talk about in a bit, with with the butcher, um, you know, with with Frank Dunning, um, you know, incredibly charming, incredibly charismatic. Um, you know, women just falling over themselves to you know, to, to talk to him, to be around him. Um, uh, perfect, perfect villain here, you know. Mm. Um, it's a great, very, all too common uh, disguise mm. or use of charm. Yeah. Um, a well, lot of, yeah. A lot of killers, a lot, a lot of criminals, a lot of very dangerous, harmful people are clever and seductive and charming yep. and kind on the surface. Mm. Um, yeah. Isn't, uh, it, isn't it interesting that, that there is that phrase, charm offensive? Mm. People talk yeah. about it. And if you actually look at that <laughs> charm offensive, it's... Um, what is that? Yeah, you unpack that. What is that? Yeah, exactly. It's... Yeah. Uh, 
so you back so sorry you walk back into 1958 and um the description of of jake just you know getting that root beer and i, I could almost taste it i mean how oh. good that tastes and it's just such a nostalgic there's a sweetness and the ice cream and uh have you ever had a root beer and is there beer in root beer or is it like ginger beer in which it's a soft drink well um okay uh first of all first of all let me say that um i'm glad you you brought up this particular topic because i knew that i was going to really like jake epping from the moment when he was in the teacher's lounge, you know, he finished crying about the story that he'd just finished reading. Um, and, and he was on his own in the teacher's lounge. And um, he thought to himself, because it was at the end of the semester, he said, I'm going to go up, uh, go go to the teacher's lounge and see if I can empty out the snack cupboard. <laughs> well, here is a man after my own heart. We are going to get along <laughs> just fine, you know, I... You and I, I know we're going to be friends. <laughs> and um, and then I think you know it's one of the one of the hooks for me for for doing for doing this is um, you know someone says Simon go 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 back in the past and live in the past for five years. I'm not bloody doing that. I'll be five years older. Yeah, but you'll change something really fundamental and the world will be better. Yeah, but maybe it won't. And it's not really my problem. And I'm, I'm happy with my life as it is. The food's a damn sight better. Okay, where's the portal? <laughs> you have me at apple pie. And yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. This is the best pie I've ever had, oh, ever. Right, but does, I mean, Christ, reading that, the descriptions of the of the drinks, of the food, you know, where it's real, it's packed with sugar, everything is good. There's no no sweeteners or, you know, and everyone can smoke and everyone is smoking because then it's like, you just don't know these things are going to kill you. It's just such a brilliant, nostalgic, uh, sweet innocence to it, right? Yes. And everyone's, as you say, everyone's smoking, everyone's smoking indoors. Oh. Back, back in these days, they thought cigarettes were good. Were well, good for you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, they were the opposite of harmful. Yeah, um, I get all that. So before I forget to actually answer your question. Yes, yes, root beer. <laughs> I have tried root beer once. It was from a fast food chain on this side of the pond, so it wasn't yes. in the um, It's not alcoholic. Well, it, it wasn't yeah. then. Um, and it's it's a very – it's what I would quiet – it's what I would describe as an acquired taste. It's a bit <laughs> like – it's a bit like Dr. Pepper. Okay, yes, yeah, but yeah. It's, it tastes a little bit more – um, I don't know. To me, it had a a bit like some of those medicines we used to have as a kid. Oh, which, I get you. But you know, they didn't taste sour or or, or, or bitter. It was good. There was something slightly sweet about. Yes, them. I that get kind you. Of taste. I think Dr Pepper's a really good call there. From what you're saying, because that definitely, I remember going, mm, "Wow, it's kind of medicinal. It's got a bit of a yeah. cough medicine kind of kick to it." So. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, Sai, you walk in. You you go back in through the portal. You find your way through into 1958. Now you know that you've got a um, few years, obviously, before um, you know you, you might have to do your headline act bit of business. Um, uh-huh. And of course, at this stage, you haven't maybe yet decided what you're going to do to just try things out. You've got a bit of time. 
what would you do? What, what would be one of the first things you you would do on a, on a lighter note? You know, <laughs> after I've been to the diner. Well, it could be the diner. Talk me well, through what are, you, what are you going to order? What are you, you're going you're to camp out there all, all week, right? I'll spend, the, I'll spend the first four years there. I'm not going to get to Oswald for uh, <laughs> I mean, like, you need to do that. So I can spend the first four years in the diner. <laughs> fact, I, did you know, see, I did see the, someone on the grass, you know, but I wasn't able to move. So I was in a food coma. Of <laughs> <laughs> yes, I couldn't. I'd eaten so much pie and burgers and root beer and milkshakes and, and cream that actually my legs could no longer support my actual body weight. So <laughs> yes. it was not possible for me to go anywhere. I'm sorry, Al. I, I mean, I, you know, I just got carried away. <laughs> I'm just... I'm just going to have to crawl back to the uh, <laughs> to the yellow card man and maybe drag my way up the steps if I can find them. Yeah. <laughs> um, what am I going to do apart from go to the diner? What do you do in America in late 19... Um, in the late 1950s. 50s and the early 60s? I mean, yeah. uh, Jake has got a very specific mission. Mm. Uh, he wants to sort of try it first and... Um, stop Frank Dunning from murdering almost his entire family. Yeah. In Derry. Um, so he knows exactly what he's got to do. I, oh, this is, I think it might be one of those times, although I'd, um, I'd, I'd investigate it before I go, uh, go back and find out what the major sporting events. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and not only place bets on them without trying to draw too much attention to myself, but um, <laughs> to witness them. Absolutely, man. man. Yeah, don't yeah. buy a ticket for that for that baseball game and go. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. I'm going to watch this happen. I, I love. Yeah, I love that because you've got. You know, if you're going in, say as Jake does, you're equipped with Al's card, Al's mm-hmm. booklet. Mm-hmm. You know, which has got all the you know all the bets in that you can place. But again, even with that, as you said, there's the friction. You can't suddenly, you know, you can't just go in and go, right, there we go. I'm putting the biggest bet in the world on uh, X to win this boxing match or this person to win the World Series or this team to, because you can't draw attention to yourself. I love it. There's all these rules and frictions, you know. Mm, yeah. Um, these little, you know, every time you sort of, you know, push a bit, it pushes back. Yeah. And we see that, don't we? Again, we see that when the, you know, kind of some bets get, push through and you know there's again he's entering a murky world where there might be consequences and mm. there's pressure and there's people going hang on a minute what's again and he's not yeah he's a school teacher he's not as you say he's not a pi he's not done this before he's not a gambler he's he's very much i think i love i love jake's character because he's quite he's that choric role of he seems he's but i mean this not in any patronizing way he's really much the everyman isn't he yeah it's it's like when he goes to get a haircut because you know somebody I think Al says to him you one of the, one of the first things you have to do is get a haircut because you're going to stand out too much um, and you're going to wear a suit and get a hat and uh, and he goes to get a haircut and it's forty cents forty cents for a haircut and I had a very similar feeling of sort of um, oh my god when I watched <laughs> uh, a, a great film a couple of weeks uh, a couple of weeks ago called Empire of Light uh, mm. with Olivia Coleman. 
It's about uh, about cinema in Margate in um, 1980, 1981. And at one point, somebody goes to the sweets kiosk and they ask for a box of Maltesers. And um, the person serving them says, that will be 20p, please. <laughs> 20p? Those things cost two and a half quid in Sainsbury's now. <laughs> Other supermarkets are available, <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. You, I mean, God, this place is made for you. Absolutely idyllic. Because um, you know, you know where you need to be when. You know where you don't want to be when. Yeah. Places to avoid. Yeah. If you've got a decent sense of, um, mm. of history. Um, and the 1950s, I imagine, was was quite idyllic in its own way because the world is doing its best to recover from the horrors of the Second World War. Mm. Um, the Vietnam War, which was one of the uh, next major conflicts in the world, is years away from happening. Um, uh, the, the the Cold War is is, is getting colder. Yeah. Um, but for a lot of a lot of countries, particularly those in the in the West, there was nothing on your doorstep that really gave you, if you didn't pay enough and pay much attention to it, that, that would have given you too much um, to, to worry about. By that, I mean, you're obviously turning a very big blind eye to the um, civil rights movement. There's a lot of sweetness, isn't there? There's that sweet cloyingness with that 1958. But there's also the bitterness and the the the, the you know the racism the yeah misogy- i mean i'm looking at it from my point of view no uh, absolutely absolutely you know, so, but, yeah life yeah it would be great it would be idyllic of course it bloody would you're a caucasian male yeah <laughs> yeah there's nothing wrong with life for you yeah but um i still have to go back as jake uh does and you have to live around what? racism you have to live around that sexism and oh. you can't and it's almost worse because you can't because people didn't speak yeah. out against it exactly and, and see this is the thing i don't think i'd last very long there because i, I think i'd find it really hard i mean really hard to hold my tongue you know mm-hmm. and just to go like, what no no trust me this is just abhorrent abhorrent um, and that's the, again the friction. Jake has to play the long game. He has to do what, on some levels, could be viewed as cowardice. You know, cowardice mm. is you know is is not speaking up for what you know is right. You know, but he has to turn that blind eye because he's playing the long game. Mm. Um, and so, with that, you know. I love the journey King takes us on with Jake because when he first goes through, of course, he's scared and he's like bewildered. And then you have these little passages of him, you know, the as you say, the food and the drink and getting the haircut and buying a met and driving amazing cars. Mm-hmm. But he also sees things that turn his stomach and mm. you know, curdles that milk that he's that milkshake he's just had. But he, he, he yeah, can't so do he, anything. He can't no, do anything. No. So therefore. If I'm taking, um, you know, the uh, the other side of the argument, what you say to Jake then is, oh right, so you're not you're not going to speak out about these things, you're not going to say anything. So what you seem to be behaving in line with is the principle that the means justify the ends. Yeah, is that 
Is that what you're saying? Because that's yeah. what your behavior seems to be in line with. You're not going to correct any of these other wrongs yeah. because the big one is more yeah. important. Is, yeah. is that right? Because mm-hmm. that's a mm-hmm. slippery slope as well, ain't it? Absolutely. And where this differs from, you know, I said there's that elements of almost like the video game where this di- differs completely from that is that the peril is real. You know, uh, again, when he when he says to Al early on, well, why don't you just you know, kill throttle Lee Harvey if you think that he's guilty? And why don't you just and as Al said, you know, well, it's broad daylight and I'll end up riding old Sparky. Mm. <laughs> you know, there are consequences. You can't just go in there and go, oh, the past is it's a nice, gentle thing. I could do whatever I want. You know, it, there are will be consequences. You yeah. can you can get arrested, you can get hurt, you can you can die there. You know, mm. if he goes back, yeah, those two minutes will elapse, but he won't be coming back because you know it's not an infinite reset of him as the character. Yes, you're not you're not wiping your own personality. So. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. There's you know you can't just rock up and shoot somebody because you know it's the right or quite possibly the right thing for the future. Yeah, they won't understand. They're not going to listen to that in 1958 or whenever it is you're doing it. Particularly yeah. if you if you murder somebody in cold blood, um, in Texas, as you say, he'll end up riding the the electric chair. They have yeah. the death penalty. They still do, I believe. Um, it's not that simple. No. Um, and if you are going to do something that drastic, you're going to have to make damn sure, or as sure as you can humanly be, that you're right. So you've got this time to do your your homework and to in- investigate Lee yeah. Harvey. Yeah. Yeah. You might end up at Shawshank, as we know that Shawshank's mentioned, beautiful mm-hmm. little mention there. Yeah. Uh, according to Harry Dunning's theme, his father's just a mean drunk with a hammer. He's not that anymore. He died of acute stomach poisoning in Shawshank State Prison. <laughs> a lot of people are in that area end up at Shawshank. Yep. Although, on the theme of uh, theme of nostalgia, not going quite as far back as 1958, one detail that uh, Jake mentions is his Halloween experiences in the um, in the early 80s, and when he went out for Halloween. He went as a snowtrooper from The Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> nice choice, my friend. <laughs> I mean, you two really, I mean, just when you thought you couldn't like him anymore, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, oh, uh, yep. Yeah, nice choice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, like him very well. <laughs> He's a better dancer than I am, though, because obviously when he's showing Bevy um these moves and showing richie how to do it he's obviously quite a mover um, well yeah yeah and there's that little quote at the beginning isn't there that um it says dancing is life so yeah he's he's clearly nimble on his feet but uh, yeah. hey, don't do yourself down i mean come on you know you well we'll see throw uh, many uh, a mean shape in your time i'm sure my friend <laughs> mean yeah. <laughs> yeah you mean yeah. aggressive don't you <laughs> offensive charm offensive okay, charm offensive <laughs> very offensive yeah <laughs> and of course let's be honest i mean the whole novel opens with uh you know before he's even found the the portal and gone back in time with this heartbreaking heartbreaking story that mm. then becomes you know the whole of part two which is 
um, you know, Harry Dunning's story of, of of his family being wiped out by his by his drunk father on Halloween mm. and the opening of, uh, of the, the book, book. Like the first line, isn't it? I'm not yeah. I'm not a crying man. I don't think of myself as somebody that yeah. that cries a lot. That's yeah. it. That's that's our opening sentence. That's our opening sentence. Before, in fact, before we even get to to part one, the watershed mm. moment. That's our little preface, our um, prologue, um, and. Wow, I mean, so powerful. And again, you know, the the adaptation opens with, with, with that delivered beautifully to camera. Um, you know, in a really emotive way. Um, and yeah, this will be more than just a you know a side plot. This you know is the plot that allows Jake to cut his teeth, if you like, mm. um, alongside the the Carolyn plot. You know, a couple of uh, opportunities here. To just see, all right, well, what happens when I push back with the past? Yes. Um, and I know what an opening line. I mean, I was hooked right from there. I have never been what you'd call a crying man. What about you? Are you are you a lachrymose individual or not? What would you Sometimes. say? Sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes. Um it's it's a healthy thing to do mm. from time to time, sometimes often. Um, and I think that the culture in this country, um, historically, certainly the one that I was, was, was kind of the tail end. It was in the, 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 the when I was a kid, the, we had the tail end of the the British stiff upper lip, you yeah. know, get yeah. on with it, don't cry, um, bury your feelings deep down, um, be a man, be a man, son, be a man, don't show to yes. the yeah. world. Um, which I can, you, you can understand that kind of hangover because. Um, it's part of the, the old the old war spirit, isn't it? We do not have time yeah. to, to to be like this. We've got we'll deal with it later. For right yeah. now, we've got to worry about what's mm. coming at us from the sky and what's potentially on our beaches and what's happening over there and what's happening over. We don't have mm. time. We've mm. got to just get on with unfortunately um fighting and survival. But now and I think it's a. I think it's about time, if you will, that uh, we started recognizing the power and the importance of emotions, mm. and what they are capable of, and what they're capable of when they're suppressed, mm. because they will turn into something. They they don't disappear. Um, they will evolve. They will. It's like, you know, it's like trying to put. Um, concrete on top of grass. Yeah, you can bury it for a while, but in enough time, it'll just push its way through. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think. Yeah, it's much, much more recently I've gone to no. There's, there's, there's a power. There's a strength yeah. in being able to cry. Actually, mm. um, particularly. I mean, particularly uh, as an actor. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a huge difference between the world on stage and the world in in, in the in the audience. And um, I know some actors have had an objection to to crying on stage because it makes them seem weak. And actually, um, you know, a, a good teacher will say, "Ah, not on stage. This is the difference. Um, on stage, the weak are strong, and it's mm-hmm. the strong mm-hmm. are weak." So love that wonderful sort of paradox. Yeah, are, are you or have you mastered the art, or have you always been able to 
cry on demand, cry on stage? Or... Oh, well, that's the thing about um, about the craft, I think. The craft of acting. <laughs> you plant those seeds. You plant the seeds of how you... Acting is a matter of what you what you know, not what you show. So if I know how I feel about somebody or an event mm, or mm. something, I can plant that seed. I, you can put your attention on the person that you're working with, and then you're just going to have to see where it, um, where, where the cards fall. And if it's meant to, and if it happens in, in, in a truthful, organic way, it'll happen. Um, as for being to cry on cue, yes, I suppose it can be done. Um, it can be done, of course it can, but it's tweezers, uh, tear stick. Sorry, is what Tweez tweezers or, or or a good tear stick, or just you know a really really biting down on <laughs> or biting down on what nails I have left. I'm bitten away on my <laughs> uh, on the on skin of my thumb. Journey, <laughs> you know, sort of bending my yeah. finger back or something yeah. like that. But uh, you're faking it, aren't you? Mm. It's just, I mean, yeah, you can you you can do it, but by the law of averages, if you have to do it every night for a five and a half month run, yeah, going to be some nights when it's wonderful and it happens organically and it's great, and there'll be some nights when you're just yeah. faking it because that's just uh, that's life. It's not consistent. It's it doesn't obey yeah a timetable. Unfortunately, I wish no. it did, but it doesn't. Yeah. Um, so yeah, sometimes I am, and sometimes I'm actually uh glad of it and there are times when i wish i could do it more but i, I recognize part of what jake was saying you know he's yeah. not saying that he doesn't feel far from it but it's just you know sometimes he's dry-eyed you know and i get the sense that when he hears harry tell his story it just absolutely ooh, it's like kicks him in the guts that's how he knows it's a really, really good piece of writing. That's how you know it's a good piece of art because yeah. it moves you. In some respect or another, yeah. good art should always disturb you. And so what I mean by that is it should move you from one from feeling one thing to mm. feeling something else. Yeah. You feel strongly sad or strongly hysterical. You should, you know, as in laughing, laughing, laughing so mm. hard you can't, you, you can't breathe. Um, or getting really angry. It doesn't matter what it is. If it's if your emotions have been disturbed, to some extent you can tick it off as go, okay, it worked. That's a piece, that's a successful piece of artwork. Yeah. And the sadder you and it just guts him. It and got, it, totally. not a crying man, and this has moved him. This yeah. story was so brutally honest mm. and so poignantly written by such an unexpected source mm. um, that it's it it really rocked him to his core. And that's perversely is a really good experience. That's how you know it's good. Yeah. Um, I don't suppose you, re you, you remember um, Claire Fisher going to one of her first art classes in community college. Um, and her, her teacher looks at her, um, her, her sketch, her, her drawing, and she picks it out. He picks it out and he shows it to the class and says, right, can anybody tell me why I know this is good? Because it makes me want to throw up. Yeah, yes, it is. <laughs> it produces a really strong, sudden, violent feeling in me. Yeah. That I didn't have a moment before. That's how I know this is good. Yeah. Same, exactly the same yeah. principle, but with a different feeling with yeah. um, Harry's story. Of, Harry's story. Sort of, I can't stop this feeling. It's just here. It's just, 
you know, produced, and I can't stop it. My God, yeah. this is good. Yeah, and, and he gives him that that A or A plus, not not because he sees project or out of sympathy, get the sense he's just going, no, you 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 told this story, you've lived this, and you've stood here in front of us all, and you've shared this with us. Mm. It's a hell of a sales pitch that um, Al gives. He says to Jake, as far as I'm concerned, it matters more than anything else. If you ever wanted to change the world, this is your chance. Save Kennedy, save his brother, save Martin Luther King, stop the race riots, stop Vietnam, maybe. Get rid of one wretched waif, buddy, and you could save millions of lives. Could. Could, yeah. And save Kennedy, save his brother, stop Vietnam, bracket, uh, comma, maybe. But... Yeah, he he's going for the big guns here. All right, yeah. let's be honest. Al knows that you know he's literally got you know probably moments left, and if he dies and Jake doesn't go through with this, then that's it. You know, the diner gets padlocked, portal stays shut. You know, that's it. So yeah, and Al's given his life for this. You know, I mean, it can be no greater sacrifice than you know than, than what Al has done but he wasn't able to see it through to the end. So he really turns the pressure on for Jake, you know, do this, buddy, go through there and you save, save the world. Now I get the impression that Jake is like, mm, okay. Yeah. But it's the human aspect of being able to save Harry, Harry's family. Mm. That is the thing that really tugs him back in. It's not just a sideline or a parallel. It's the thing that actually, I believe, makes him go, okay. Which is why, again, we have so long in Derry, we have that beautiful, luxurious part two, the janitor's father, mm. because that's the human aspect that you need um, and that pulls him in, I think. Yeah, it's it, it's something a lot more personal. Yeah. Um, obviously, what Al is, is, is trying to encourage... Uh, Jake to do is 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 stop an event that will have a profound effect on the, the entire world, and I think that um, Al's connection to JFK is probably a lot deeper mm. than um, than Jake's because um, it was um, President Johnson who really escalated things in Vietnam, and he was sworn in after JFK was assassinated, um, and Al feels the the hook if you will of uh, of of vietnam a lot more than um than jake does so as you say jake's gonna go oh, well okay but first i'm going to deal with something that really me means something to me yeah um and i know means something to somebody else that um that i really care about yeah. i mean i'm about to take if I do this, I'm about to take this wonderful, beautiful story out of the world. But it's a small price to, to pay for saving um, saving Harry's fa family from this drunken psychopath. And what a oh, what a psychopath! I mean, the quality of the writing. So I just want to share, you know, in the janitor's father when when he goes in and and he bumps into the yellow card man and he describes him as as it was like being attacked by a black overcoat full of flapping birds. <laughs> <laughs> Again, real kind of George Stark vibes for that one. Yeah. And then when the um, 
yellow card man falls down. He falls down in a kind of accordion collapse. Mm. What? What a turn of phrase, that sense of just this man collapsing in on himself, almost yeah. not being human. We've, we've hinted at it, but not being real. You know, maybe he's just filled, made up of birds. Yeah, something that's something that's not quite tangible. And, yeah. And, and, and um, you know, sort of being pecked out and clawed at. And it's very difficult to fight something like that off. Yeah. Because um, it's obviously, yeah. you know, it's not just one thing. It's lots of very different things almost operating Yeah. Um, as one. There's yeah. one bit of the writing I have to stick my hand up in the air and go, I don't get this. <laughs> Can somebody explain um, the, the joke? to me okay and um, we get this very early on when um uh, when jake is jake is in the in the diner it's probably really simple tourist from chicago driving a fancy sports car pulls up to a farmhouse way out in the country old farmer sitting on the porch smoking a corn cob pipe tourist leans out of his jaguar and asks say old timer can you tell me how to get to east Machias?" old farmer puffs thoughtfully on his pipe a time or two, and then says, don't you move a goddamn inch. Does that mean he's oh, in the place where he's yeah, looking? Yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm yeah. sorry. That's I mean, a New England thing. I don't get that joke. No, I, I mean, it's not um, It's not a laugh out loud one. I, I've got to be honest. It's uh, I, yeah, I feel I'm missing and, something really obvious. I, I, yeah, and, and please, please write into us. Let us know because because it, it, it's 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 us, not not it. Because yeah, I, I I don't get that. I think the only thing I can realise is that well, you're here, you're already there. Don't move an inch. You've arrived. Yeah. Um, you didn't realise where you were. Because yeah. You don't know anything other than the city. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Maybe yeah. it's something about that. Yeah, you know, you're you, you're not wise to these ways you're you're you know green wet behind the ears green all of that maybe you know which might lead into the fact that it's like that for jake and owl perhaps strangers in a strange land i'm really yeah. overreaching now but if there is i don't know i, know, I don't know if there I is know. a punchline to it yeah that parallel works but even so please put us out of our misery yes explain Human humour to us because we clearly don't have a decent grasp. <laughs> yes, we have ten ears. So please, please let us know. Please let us know. Um, that first interaction with well, I call him the yellow card man, but actually now he's the orange card man. Mm. So he wasn't the yellow card man. Not this time. When he raised his hand to wipe his chin, the card clutched in it had no longer been yellow. This time it was a dirty but still bright orange. And I read that and I just go, hmm, hang on. Al said to me that things, I got the sense, Al said, let everything resets. When you come back through the portal, things reset. But clearly they're not. There's little differences, ticks, little subtle changes. The fact that this card is a different color makes me think well hang on one of al's rules how reliable is he as an as a narrator as a guide this is an ever shifting landscape and sands beneath us it, it raises the tension yeah. beautifully right well just before he goes back um having spent all that time in in Derry and um saved um 
the Harry's family and gotten out of Derry and sort of left, uh, well, left as little mess behind as, as was possible because one of the children is still is still killed. It's Tugger, and, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that one did Tugger at my heart, heartstrings. Here all week. And uh, Harry's mum is, is actually quite badly injured. Yeah. Um, so he wasn't really as tidy as as he as Jake would have liked, but he goes back and he does have a few moments where he can't find the steps. Yeah, he's looking for, and he oh bloody hell, did, am I stuck here? Have I changed things to such an extent that now the portal's gone? Is it closed? Yeah. What, what the hell? He's um, really, sca- really scared. Really yeah. scared, isn't he? Yeah. That actually he's he's stuck it, and now um, well, as if he was able to get back, he'd be um, literally home free. But if he's stuck here, he's now on the run from the law because there are a lot of people who have seen his face. Yeah, yeah. Um, but to be honest, having finished those first two first two parts, I I really I, I really felt like if if Stephen King, for whatever reason, had left it there. If that was all it called something else, maybe it, it, it had its alternative title, um, and he never wrote anything else, if that's where he'd finished it, to me, I think it would have felt like a really good short novel that just had a really open ending. Yeah. Given how it how it, how it it finished with him making it back to Al's diner um, and making these changes, but you never see what the... Um, what the consequences of the of the change are it would have felt like a very good short novel novella even but it just had an an open ending he's not happy with how things have turned out they're a hell of a lot better than they were but we're still you know it's still not good enough and he's like i'll do better next time and Mm. as the reader i love that because it's that first explicit moment of going i'm gonna get out of here and then i'm gonna come back again and I'm going to do it, and I'm going to do it properly with that knowledge of what happens, um, you know. Uh, but again, we don't know how much will change or what what new challenges will get thrown uh, yeah. thrown in his path. But it's his commitment to go. No, no, no. This is this isn't good enough. Yes, but the best laid plans. I mean, he wasn't expecting to get held up and uh, at gunpoint. And delayed, he thought he'd find his nice little vantage position. Yeah, and just wait for the right time. But there's the past, throwing another monkey wrench into the works, yep. stopping him or preventing, um, trying to prevent him from making this this change. And that, for me, was one of the um, the most tense mm. sections of these of these two parts, with him just sitting with the clock running down. And him knowing that they're getting closer and closer and closer to um, Frank Dunning coming home and him not being able to do a damn thing until he properly thinks on his feet, uh, as it were, even though he's sitting down, and he goes, I know why you're doing this. You're doing this because you're a bloody coward. You're holding me here because you want to kill Frank because you want revenge for your sister. That's bullshit. If you really wanted, you'd have bloody done it by now. Yeah. So what's it? You're just stopping me from doing it because you're a fucking coward. And and then you get this moment of of uh, fight between the two of them because he's he's obviously touched a nerve because he knows. Uh, yeah. They both know he's right. Um. 
and all the all the while yeah, all the while doing it whilst wearing incontinence pads yes it's just me that's, that's makes it a real man even more of a hero to do uh I mean, talk about the past fighting dirty, dirty tactics. Literally, Literally. that stomach bug. I mean, oh, you just feel the pain and you yeah. just say, oh, oh, no, oh, not now. Oh, God, no. And that's more than just I've had a I've had a dodgy root beer. Um, <laughs> and as you say, lovely little interaction and Easter egg with the chemist, Mr. Keen. Um, including one of my favourite insults that had me laughing out loud, <laughs> where Mr. Keane's almost gloating and smiling at the discomfort of Jake. He just turns to him and says, you're quite the bastard, aren't you? The perfect goddamn Derry citizen. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Derry through and through. Yeah. yeah, it's infected everybody except mm. um, except some of the kids. Uh, yeah, which again, and I'd love to just share a little bit of the writing there that really struck me. Um, when yeah, when, when they meet, when he meets Richie and Bev, I stepped onto the grass. Neither child fled, screaming. In fact, Beverly shoved over on the bench, elbowing Richie so he would do the same, and made room for me. They were either very brave very stupid and they didn't look stupid then the girl says something that flabbergasted me do i know you do we know you before i could answer richie spoke up no it's not that it's i don't know do you want something mr amberson is that it actually i do some information but how did you know that and how do you know that i'm not dangerous they looked at each other and something passed between them. It was impossible to know just what. Yet I felt sure of two things. They had sensed an otherness about me that went way beyond just being a stranger in town. But unlike the yellow card man, they weren't afraid of it. Quite the opposite. They were fascinated by it. I thought those two attractive, fearless kids could have told some stories if they wanted to. I've always remained curious about what those stories might have been. Well, there's another book that you can read, Mr. Anderson, that would tell you. <laughs> and another series of <laughs> eight uh, podcast episodes celebrating Derry and all things it available, uh, where all good podcasts uh, reside. Uh, yeah, what a... Amongst the darkness and the bleakness... You've got this wonderful, wonderful um, lightness of these two fearless, attractive kids who quite rightly have gone, listen, we've just dealt with Pennywise. We're not going to be scared of you. Yeah. Anything that you could potentially threaten with us with looks like bloody cream cheese to what we've just been through. I've got a balloon. I've got a red balloon. Yeah, well, even so, it's just one, you're just one person with one red balloon and there's two of us and a large open space behind us. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're just small fry, but you're small fry, mister. And we just look, in fact, that gesture side, it's mm. so detailed and so small, but so huge. The fact that they don't run away, not only do they not run away, they just move up, make a space for him on the bench. The first people in Derry 
that have shown any kindness. Mm. And they're the first people that you you feel that attractiveness, that fearlessness of these two magnificent kids. Yeah. Um, I had a lovely experience. When you read that again, well, you go, well, those stories that they're going to tell. Yeah. Either do pick up it after you've read this, this book and because it's amazing. Uh, and these children are f- phenomenal. But I also, having read it, obviously, I, I just felt a real warmth, a real fondness. King just going, oh, it's like a eulogy almost for these two kids, right? In the way yeah. that he writes it. There's such warmth to it. Um, and King writing about, you know, the, the way that they dance and sprinklers twirling. It's so nostalgic. It's so visual, this passage. And I love that it's something that isn't in it. Yes. Um, it, it's just another, it's, it sort of it embellishes all of the, the friendships that they had in it, because you're seeing something that was probably even, maybe not even sort of mentioned as a, as a footnote or, a, or an mm. anecdote or a side note or anything like that in it. But it's all those little things that happen with these kids forming their, mm. um, their unique relationships and their friendships that happened throughout that summer and then some way beyond um that cemented the um the bonds between them i love that it's something new it's a it's an extra yes at least easter egg and actually in it i don't remember there being a vast amount of interactions between beverly and richie yeah it's good to see them together agreed yeah and they know i mean they've seen they know they know what the adults are and again one of those few adults that they that they know they go no there's there's no threat here with you you just you're just searching for something aren't you you wanting to find something out yeah um, so it's a benevolent sort of you're not from round here are you no there's only one sort of friendly forthcoming uh character ad- adult that jake uh, meets in Derry, and even he's a bloody trap. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, you just much rather spend time with these with these kids than any of the adults oh, in the town. Absolutely, and you know when Jake meets that guy, you know it's a trap because you just you well the shorthand is was very obvious. It's like no adults in Derry are good. <laughs> You know, no good will come of this. There is something rotten going on here. Mm. Well, I said, I fell for it. Did and you? I, and I've read this book before. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I just thought it was too good to be. I was like, no, nah, hang on. Someone's trying to help you in Derry. Uh, no, and they're not one of the losers club. Nah, this ain't right. Yeah. No, I just thought that there had to be somebody that was. Um, somebody had to be helpful mm. inverted commas but yeah i didn't think i'm sorry i'm too i'm i too many times do i take things at face value well there's something very beautiful about that and that's exactly what king would have wanted you that reaction he'd want you to have had you know exactly that um uh, just finishing off that rich and bevy moment um because mm. it speaks about what we were talking about earlier when you know you're talking about the past and um it's just so Fantastic, this bit of writing. Glenn Miller played that old sweet song and the kids danced. On the grass, their shadows danced beside them. Out, in, dip, kick, spin left, spin right, go under, pop out and flip. They weren't perfect this time, 
and they'd screw up the steps many times before they nailed it, if they ever did. But they weren't bad. Oh, to hell with that. They were beautiful. For the first time since I topped that rise on Route 7 and saw Derry hulking on the west, I was happy. That was a good feeling to go on. So I walked away from them, giving myself the old advice as I went. Don't look back. Never look back. How often do people tell themselves that after an experience that is exceptionally good or exceptionally bad? Often, I suppose. And the advice usually goes unheeded. Humans were built to look back. That's why we have that swivel joint in our necks. Mm. It's a very smart observation. Yeah. That's just pure, pure biology. It's there. Yeah, it's why that joint is there yeah yeah exactly and brilliantly that he looks back thinking they'll be staring after him and they're not they are just dancing they are lost they are just happy in that moment you know yeah they've just defeated pennywise or put pennywise to rest for a substantial substantial chunk of time they're um you know yeah that was a, a you know a pleasant uh interlude for them and they don't need to worry about it anymore mm. they get back to their dancing you said something really interesting about how um, that I, re- I, I really agree with that if this had ended here, yeah, you know, so so we have these what two hundred pages um, mm-hmm. parts one and two, you know, that, so you have got the little preface, we've got the watershed moment, and then the janitor's father. If it had ended there, it would have been a really powerful novella, and 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 I, I agree. There's something about that that I for me though I got vibes i got when i read the green mile mm-hmm. and it came out in its serialization form um mm-hmm. a, a, as we know and each book operated within its own orbit yes of course they were connected but each book had its own world within it each book had its own focus and i got the sense with this that almost if king had released so far on these two parts if he had released 112263 in these six separate installments as there's six parts mm-hmm. i get the feeling that would have worked pretty well as well yeah yeah well um, um on the strength of the first two yeah absolutely mm. absolutely as i say even if it if it had ended there and that was his his take on it feeling that there was something else he he wanted to write and that's where he left it i would have thought that was a fascinating novella yeah um, and I wouldn't, strangely, because of what Jake does in Derry and the changes that he makes, I wouldn't have felt cheated that he didn't then go back and take on the Kennedy assassination. So I, I, I wouldn't have felt, oh, you, you robbed me there. I'd be yeah. like, oh, okay, that's fine. That's just this story. Yeah, and I wonder if that's because he, we feel such a connection to Harry and Harry's character, and he's written so um, sympathetically. And it's so horrific what he goes through. And it's so personal, as you said. This is personal to Jake. Um, it, it feels so much more, um, I guess, tangible. You know, it feels incredibly human, right? If I was in that position and I was to go back, it's more actually than just a rehearsal or a warm-up for the main event. The main event is something I can't even comprehend. It's so huge, that watershed moment. This just feels so tangible. If you could go back, and you know you could save a whole family of innocents and kids, mm. uh, uh, this woman and her kids, from this psychopathic monster. 
and you can go back and do it and you know he's going to go back and do it better next time then i fi- i i'd feel the um the closure with that actually like you i wouldn't feel the need but what about the jfk thing what happens then i'd go no that that exists in mm. its own right mm-hmm. yeah that's a sort of a separate um in fact i think i probably would have found myself saying um oh well um if that's yeah. what he had to go through to stop this then can you imagine the point king's making is that what he would have gone through or had to have gone through to stop the kennedy assassination would have been momentous and i'm not sure he could have done it anyway yeah this this story finished yeah and also yeah and also it's like he hints that he's going to go back right he says i'm Mm -hmm. sorry standing i'm going to go back and i'm going to get this right if he does go back and get it right saves everybody nobody dies um apart from the father then if he stays around to finish his mission and stays for another few years then there's a whole load of things that could go wrong you kind of just you've done one perfect amazing thing you've saved all these lives um Mm. if he then was to go right i'm not going to do jfk i'm done i'm 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 knackered I'm exhausted, but I've got, you know, three beautiful kids' lives spared and and this lovely lady there. They all live happily ever after. If he then travels back without doing Kennedy, then they stay as they are, don't they? I'm right in that. The logistics of it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So if he doesn't go back, back, you still, you live in a world uh, where everything is the same, except... Yeah, um, everything surrounding Harry's fa- family is different. Yeah. Okay, it's still is still shot. The and everything that follows that still follows. Yeah, the only changes he's he's made, which he'll he'll then have to go and investigate, is he'll have to hook up with um, with Harry and see because he might not not even be the janitor of his school anymore. Yeah, yeah, right, um, okay. Who, yeah, knows yeah, yeah. What, who knows what has happened to any of them? Yeah. Because also you've got to you've got to you've got to say, well, on that night, from from their point of view, what happened was um their father came home drunk, attacked their mother, and and killed one of the kids, and then somebody else broke into the house, mm. killed my father, um or help you know was or, or um w- was in the house when my father was killed because somebody mm. else came into the house and mm. killed my father mm. and my younger brother was killed so there's this whole other potential trauma mm. that's, that, that's being created what effect did that have on harry and his siblings and his mother did they ever really recover did they recover perhaps they did yeah it's still going to have an effect on them so who knows where they are now so he's going to have to go and see Mm. What has changed? Are the effects mm. um, as he had hoped and intended? Yeah. Or has he made it worse? Have yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all three kids turned to crime? Or are, are they alcoholics themselves? Yeah. Damaged to their own families. So yeah. are there other children who are now in harm's way? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> It's That's it. Spider's nest, isn't it? Oh, I mean, th- this is it. This is the intricacies there of the plot, isn't it? You know, um, if he goes back and you save those people and you go, you know what? 
that's my job. I want to go back now to my current life. Yeah, I've done a really good thing, but I know then I might have to go. Well, sorry, Kennedy, take your yeah. chances. Right. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, because that's the point that Al makes to Jake after Jake goes and just goes and has a look around and and, and, and oh my god, uh, and then yeah. comes back again because Al says to him, the the price of that is that um, Caroline, yeah, Caroline is now. Um, has now been shot again. Yes, because you reset it by going back. So the price of, of the proof that you needed, and I can see why you would need it. It's perfectly reasonable that you'd need it. Is that you've undone the good deed that I went back to do? I love that. Yeah, I get why you did it, but, but look just so what you know. You, yeah, just so you know, I did a good thing, and you've undone it. There's a cupboard in your room. You open that. For that, it's a portal to Frank Darabont being held prisoner. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, he is he out for vengeance? Oh, he really is. Yeah. And every I'm time like, you go there, it resets the ending of the mist. Oh, well, now we're going to have to t- take some time to think about this now, ain't we? Now look, now look. Trust me, you are doing fine. Um, everything is great. Everything is great about this, um, except one teeny, teeny little thing. It's a few pages. I've got a few questions. Yeah, it's not a biggie, okay? Yeah, but do I want to rob the world of such a uh, such a sucker punch? Well, this site is the quandary of yeah. time travel and life and art, and because yes, that ending is what everyone remembers. I mean, it's a phenomenal film, but that ending, that choice, that bravery, that gut punch, do you rob the world of that? That's uh, That's got to be a subject for a different podcast. Yeah, okay. All There's right. too much there. We'll There's be. too much there. We're getting, we're getting too distracted. <laughs> and, I can, and Frank's banging on the cupboard now, just going, too late now. There's no portal for you, mate. You film what you filmed. Now, I just want to stress, if anyone is... We've got new listeners joining us specifically for our 112263 episodes and, and, and read-along, and it is wonderful to have you with us. Thank you. To get the context on the Frank Darabont being in size cupboard, jump back to our very first uh, episode of The Mist, and all will be explained uh, there. Um, but please don't go calling uh, the cops on site. Okay. And if you do, at least have the decency to call the British cops. Don't dial 911 because it won't do a damn thing. <laughs> It'll be of no use to you. But uh, talking talking about, you know, art as, uh, as, as we have been, yeah. anybody that wants um, a concise but accurate description of what um, life in um, amateur dramatics can be like then then do read section five in chapter eight which i believe is in yeah must be in uh part two uh because because it, it sums it up all very nicely i'll just say that it it opens with if you've ever acted in an amateur stage company or directed student theatricals which i had to several times at lhs you'll know what the days leading up to halloween were like for me and he ends it with um, 
And before the curtain goes up, some Hamlet, Willie Loman or Blanche Dubois will have to rush into the nearest bathroom to be sick. It never fails. Trust me on the sickness part. I know. There's a very short section, but it dis- it describes what yeah. uh, amateur dramatics particularly are like, and it's very well uh, very well described. Yes, there is a there is a particular relationship, isn't there, between an, an actor and their bowels and performances. Yes, yes, because um, when the bottom falls out of your world. Sai, <laughs> <laughs> thank you. I mean, we're back in Derry. Um, for one of his most gripping stories, actually, in Derry and time travel, but so much more, right? I mean, I can't wait to see where we go next. And where we go next is parts three and four that will be released at the end of of April. So for those of us joining in the read-along, we really hope you enjoy this um, and enjoy parts three and four throughout April. Um, do get in touch with us with any of your thoughts on on the book. Sai, final final thoughts, you fine upstanding citizen. Final thoughts. Well, the last thing I have to say, I think one of the many things I like about Jake is that he manages to imbue some of JFK's wisdom before he even spoke it or he heard him say it, perhaps. Um, JFK once famously said, one person can make a difference. And everyone should try. King Size was written and presented by Matt Robinson and Simon Balkan. Edited and produced by Matt Robinson. Music, Storm Coming by Last Picture Show, available on Spotify. Find us on Instagram at Podcast. If you like what you hear, please drop us a review and subscribe to the show.